You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, and welcome to another fabulous episode of Dear Multi-Hyphenate. I am your host, Michael Kushner, and I am so, so honored that you're joining me for another episode. Today's episode features the incredible Christine Toy Johnson, and before we get into the conversation, I just have a little bit of housekeeping. If you are not following me on social media, please do so. Follow me on Instagram at TheMichaelKushner or at Dear Multi-Hyphenate or on TikTok at TheMichaelKushner. If you love these episodes, you get more on social media, more tips, more tricks, more business insight. It is a great way for me to be able to connect with you. So follow me. Some of you know that I also have a workshop that I teach with Ashley Kate Adams and Kimberly Faye Greenberg called Multi-Hype. And we are doing a free webinar on April 26th at 7 p.m. We're going to talk about things like the agent and the multi-hyphenate and how to be better at time management and how do you even know if you're a multi-hyphenate. So sign up for free at multihypeworkshop.com. That's multihypeworkshop.com. And if you're interested in taking the actual workshop, the actual multi-hype workshop with Ashley Kate, myself, and Kimberly Faye Greenberg, we start May 17th for our sixth incredible session. And I can't wait for you to join us. So let's get into it, shall we? I love this new segment that I've started on this podcast called You Got a Question? Where, yes, I take questions from you, the listeners, and answer them on air. This question was asked during a workshop that I was hosting with college seniors at Ithaca College. And some bright, wonderful, budding multi-hyphenate asked me, when do you add a hyphen to your proficiencies? Let's break it down, right? A hyphen in our proficiencies would be actor, photographer, producer, writer, podcaster. That's me. But for you, it could be stage manager, designer, uh, social media maven, whatever it is. However, you identify as a multi-hyphenate. When do you add a hyphen to your professional proficiency list? I like to say it breaks down to three different things. One. When you're hired for that project as a photographer, as a director, as an actor, are you getting paid for it? Are you establishing an income with that job, with that hyphen, with that proficiency? Number two, is there a Googleable or searchable paper trail for that hyphen and your name? So if I were to Google Michael Kushner actor, Michael Kushner photographer, Michael Kushner podcaster, would a paper trail, would search results come up? And number three, do you enjoy it? Are you passionate about it? And are you willing to include that hyphen, that proficiency as a part of your artistic identity? If yes, bam, you're good. Add it, live it, love it. It's yours. If you're not so sure about it, Maybe you tried it once. Maybe you can let it go. Maybe you could just do it for fun. Maybe it's just a hobby. The answer is ultimately up to you. But I think that that is a clear guideline. And if you check those boxes off, I think you can confidently add that hyphen to your list of proficiencies. And so that's... You got a question? With your multi-hyphenate. 
If you have a question that you want answered on air, all you have to do is drop me a message on social media or email me through my website or send a carrier pigeon. But (laughs) regardless, whatever it is, I would love to answer your question on air. I think it's time to jump into today's episode. Christine Toy Johnson is an award-winning writer, actor, director, and advocate for inclusion. Her written works have been produced and or developed by The Roundabout, Village Theater, Barrow Group, Prospect Theater, Weston Playhouse, O'Neill, Women's Theater Festival, Cap 21, Greater Boston Stage Company, The Abingdon Theater Company, and more, and are included in the Library of Congress's Asian Pacific American Performing Arts Collection, Playwrights Division. She is an alum of the BMI Musical Theater Writing Workshop, was a 2016 fellow of the Writers Lab supported by Meryl Streep, Nicole Kidman, and Oprah Winfrey, serves on the council of the Dramatis Guild, and is host of the Guild's podcast, Talk Back, on Broadway Podcast Network. As an actor, Christine has appeared extensively on Broadway, off-Broadway, in regional theaters across the country, and nearly 100 television and film appearances, including recurring guest star roles on Marvel's Iron Fist, Bull, The Americans, You, Law & Order SVU, and more, and is on extended intermission from the North American tour of Come From Away. She has received Rosetta Lenore, J.A.C.L., Asian American Arts Alliance, and Obie Awards for her advocacy in diversity and inclusion. For details, please visit www.christinetoyjohnson.com. And like I said, she is the host of the Guild's podcast, Talk Back, which is also on Broadway Podcast Network, so give that a listen. I really hope you enjoy this episode. So, as always, I love to start with a quote to bring us into the episode, to ground us, to say hi. And when I think of today's guest, I think of someone I think of someone who is a centerpiece, someone who brings the family together, who uh, her personality breaks bread for me. Like it's it's this all-knowing, wonderful, warm, fabulous, personality who I've never even met in person yet and I can't wait until we do thanks quarantine but I have this quote that I found that I think empowers embodies Christine and how I envision her and that is I it's an it's a Sanskrit phrase and that is I can see myself in all things and all people around me. Please welcome Christine Toy Johnson. Oh my goodness, that's so beautiful. Thank you, Michael. And I know, yes, one day we'll be meeting in person at the Doggy Cafe and and breaking biscuit. Yes, I like <laughs> I like breaking biscuit. And and also, I mean, when Come From Away comes back, I will be backstage photographing you. Yes, because please. That is, I mean, first of all, it's like that is one of my favorite shows. I have. I am so obsessed with Come From Away. I've seen it three times on Broadway. And I took my mom to, because if I take my mom to see it, that means, you know, that I love it. Right. And um, and I just, you know, it's it was that moment that she took me to see Wicked. That was my first Broadway show, January 5th, 2005, Adina's last week. And because I had grown up with national tours, but you just hop on Jet Ju and you just go to, you know, <laughs> New York from Fort Lauderdale, Long okay. Island, you know. Do you love that? I love it. <laughs> and um, but for some reason we hadn't gone back to New York for a while, and we came, we did a vacation. And I remember after the show, my mom and my grandma were both like, "We couldn't stop watching you watch the show." And that's how I felt about my mom watching Come From Away. Oh, was I couldn't I couldn't stop watching her watch the show because she was loving it so much. Yeah, that's amazing. And our audiences are phenomenal. And I, I have a feeling when we do go back, which we will, hopefully, um, hopefully in the fall, um, we will. First of all, we're, we're all going to be crying through the entire thing, um, just being with each other again, but also just feeling the the energy that comes from the audience. And I, and I, I'm sure that it will be uh, even deeper having been apart for so long and away from live events. And uh, yeah, so I'm really excited about bringing, I've, I have been for 18 months uh, excited about bringing the message of the show, the compassion, intentional generosity to people across North America. And it's just going to be tenfold when we get back. Now, 
when talking about multi-hyphenate life, because that's what we're talking about, multi-hyphenating, I... I talk about the why, about the artist's why, and why we do something, why we do what we do, and how that can help cut the fat and help, uh, you know, uh, help us not waste time going to certain auditions because it's not something that we want to. That's not a story that is a part of our why or where we are in the moment or certain photo, uh, photography jobs I don't take because it's not a part of my why. Producing, etc. I feel like come from away based on what I know about you and the work that you do is a huge extension of your why of who you are as an artist. Yes, definitely. I, I feel like, you know, I've been doing this for a very long time against all odds. I have been making my living in the industry since I graduated from college, really. And I'm a million years old. Um, And uh, (laughs) so as, as time has gone by, and you know you do um, you do sort of focus in and, and narrow down your priorities and where you want to spend your energy in the most productive and delicious way. Um, I have found that I ask myself, where can I have the most impact? How can I have the most impact? And that really influences a lot of my decisions about. Um, the work I do, the advocacy I do, the the panels I agree to moderate, um, et cetera. You, we, um, you, I, I, I loved uh, getting to know you when you were on my Broadway memory. When yes, we that were, was fun. Yeah, so fun when we were, you know, doing Broadway for Biden work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is, you know, it's Broadway for Biden. It, it was, it's, it, I mean, it's still so important, you know, because right. we're not out of the woods yet of the, of the absolute detriment that the, you know, 45 left us with. Mm-hmm. Um, so we still have to, I mean, unfortunately with what just happened in the news mm-hmm. um, the other day, which uh, my heart goes out to all, everyone involved. Um, it's, it's, un- it's unspeakable. And I, and I um, can't believe that we're still dealing with <laughs> this. Right. Well, you know, the the unfortunate truth is that um, xenophobia is not new. It has been going on for literally centuries in in our country. And uh, boy, the uh, my community is really hurting, but we are intrepid and we um, we're survivors and we'll persevere and we're we're we are coming up with ways on a daily basis to. Um, find a uh, forge forge a new way forward and 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 hopefully contribute to a more compassionate and just world. I know that sounds very kind of like lofty, but um, but that is truly um, at the root of so much of the advocacy that I that I do and and what I care about: bringing compassion, kindness, intentional generosity into whatever space is possible. That's so beautiful and concise. And that's exactly what I'm talking about, like to my listeners and the people that I work with when they want to do multi-hyphenate coaching or, or take workshop, like something like speaking about the work in a concise way like that. It doesn't need to be, uh, you don't need to be creating the Mona Lisa here or, or, you know, uh, updating the space shuttle, but at least, you know, at least just have... Nobody wants me to update the space <laughs> shuttle. <laughs> That's hysterical. I was speaking of space shuttles, like before I, you know, before I was like, oh, Mary Poppins, oh, theater. Okay, I know what I'm doing 21 years ago. Um, I wanted to be an engineer at NASA. Mm, wow. What did I get on my SATs? <laughs> wasn't great <laughs> so i'm glad i figured that out early right and you did it and here you are you know it's so, it's so funny because it's like you know to to be an artist to be a multi-hyphenate it's like uh the the way that our school structure is so is so uh, the way that our schools are structured with testing and sats and the uh you know the the fcat in florida where i'm from we had the fcat up until a certain year and the way that it is it's like 
I didn't do well on my SATs. I even got a worse score <laughs> the second time around, which isn't supposed to happen. <laughs> um, and but that didn't dictate my uh, my love for my creativity and the way that I can maneuver a situation, the way that I can sell a product, and the way that I can excel in this industry. Uh, what is what was your sort of um, what what was your background to when you first started to realize that you were a multi hyphenate? Well, hmm. You know, when I was uh, a child, first of all, when I was a child, I was a model at four years old. And yes, and that was exciting. Uh, my mom and I would would uh, take the train together and into the city. We we I grew up in the suburbs of New York City, and and uh, we go to go sees and uh that was fun but you know my my mom my mom and dad have been always my greatest supporters plus my husband uh, later on um and but they've never been stage parents so it was a, a totally positive experience being being a child model um but uh you know and also i was one of those kids who put on um dramatizations of the 12 days of Christmas for my parents' captive holiday guests. I did so that with I Passover. <laughs> so I think it started from, from a very early age. I don't think that there was ever a time that I wasn't. Maybe I just didn't realize it. And um, then, you know, growing up and, and being in this business for really my whole life, um, I think I, I you just realize that you need to do a lot of things, not only to survive in the industry, but just to, to be happy and thrive and, and be, um, a, a well-rounded human who happens to be in show business. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know that there was ever a, a moment that, that told me I should start uh, getting a lot of hats and, and hat, hat pins and because I'm, but because I live in the 1800s, um, or, you know, or, ribbons down your back. Yes, ribbons down my back. <laughs> that's hysterical. I mean, I, look, I have a top hat that's hanging right behind me on my hat. Amazing. Rack. I see that. Definitely. Wow. A cowboy yeah. hat too, maybe? Yes. That one's from Austin, Texas. Um, I have a tri-corner hat from Williamsburg, Virginia. My boyfriend and I get our kicks from travel and from history. We love, mm. we're big history buffs. So um, that's sort of our romantic, uh, relaxing getaways. But um, it, it's, uh, it, you know, I think that's why I'm so drawn to uh, to historical, historic uh shows to moments of time like come from away i think because i uh that's a moment that i lived through so i can actually not only just imagine what it was like it was um i lived i was 10 i was 10 and i remember that day like it was yesterday i remember we had a very early lunch uh it was 10 30 in the morning very early and um we were told to go back to our classes and the mm -hmm. superintendent of schools came on the tv we didn't see anything other class other classes and schools were shown what was happening. We we weren't. And next thing you know, you just heard, um, boop, Mrs. Morrison, yes. Can you send Stephanie to the front office for dismissal? Boop, Mrs. Morrison, can you send Christine to the front office for dismissal? Boop, Mrs. And it was, everyone was getting picked up. Oh. My, my parents, you know, born in, I'm from Long Island. My aunt's on 51st and 9th. My grandma's in Queens. Uh, my parents were like, We'll pick them up later. <laughs> you know what I mean? But but we did. You know, my parents had already been divorced, but my mom, my dad picked me up when it was time, and my mom came over, and the three of us just sat on the couch watching. And I, the vision, the image that I have was, um, it was all of a sudden really dark. Mm -hmm. No one, no one had gotten up from the couch for hours mm. to turn on the lights. Uh, I happened to be working on a job in Las Vegas, oh, wow. which was a little freaky because uh, I was working on an industrial show that was going to have over a hundred people involved in the entire cast. And I had arrived early. I was doing sort of the, the fake broadcast section. I was going to be like the, the newscaster that would appear in some media 
and uh, a lot of the other people had not arrived yet. Um, and we were staying at the MGM Grand, and I, because I was still on East Coast time, I was up super super early, um, and I was and I watched the second uh, plane hit on the news, which was devastating. And then I didn't know what to do, and I. I think I went to I went to go try to find other people who were already there uh, because they had one of the ballrooms set up as a production area. And it was just so strange to be walking through the casino, which you have to do in order to get to the ballroom, and seeing people on the slot machines and seeing people playing uh, as if nothing had happened. And what, maybe they didn't really know what had happened yet, but it was such a surreal kind of place um to be and then the company that um that the industrial was for arranged for buses to drive back to the east coast eventually so i that uh that was a tuesday of course um and then on by thursday i got on a bus with (laughs) with strangers um to start our drive uh, the the closest I could get to New York, they stopped at various places where their offices were. So I think, you know, we, uh, Indianapolis, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, Philadelphia was the closest I could get to home and it took us 48 hours. They didn't stop for um, hotel for hotels or anything. Um, and they have, there was tag team drivers, which probably wasn't really legal, but they did it, got us there safely. You know, we stopped occasionally to eat and to go to the bathroom and, um, uh, we got to Philadelphia by uh, Saturday, and my husband picked me up there. Uh, and um, just driving back into the city and seeing the hole in the landscape, and oh, it's just uh, even thinking about it now, almost twenty years later, yeah. is so so heartbreaking. And also in the subways, the um, you know all the notes that were left by people. Um, trying to find saying if you see if you see this person my loved one my husband my father my son you know here's the number to call and and tributes and it's it was just incredible and so i think you know being a new yorker and and feeling the collective uh grief and compassion that came from the city was deeply um profound and and it, so being in come from away and having, uh, you know, Irene and David, our writers, creating this additional lens through which to see 9-11, to see a whole different side, to see, you know, the better angels that came out of some people um, has been just incredible. And to share that with people, people that some, some of the kids that come to see us weren't, uh, younger than you, you know, and don't remember or were not alive even. Um, but, but I'm very heartened and moved by their response that they come away from the show saying, Oh, I, I understand things in a different way. And now I, I'm, I'm going to pay it forward. And, um, and I understand that kindness is a really valuable, um, characteristic to, to embody. When that show, I think the way that it is, is crafted it's it it reminds me of that time something about the music something about the the pace of it reminds me of those those days even though I was so far away and you know living my own life but when I when I see your when I see come from away I I I see a part of life that is so tucked away it's so specific um that only a musical can <laughs> can bring that out of me, you know. Right, right. And uh, yeah, the whole team. You know, I have always feel very conscious of mentioning the people who created it. So I'm just going to say it: um, Irene Sankoff and David Hine, the amazing writers who really they just took it on and um, created this beautiful piece with Christopher Ashley, our director, Kelly Devine, choreographer, and Ian Eisendrath, the music supervisor, and many other people, but those, um, those core people, um, created magic really. And, and, and I, I'm, like I said earlier, I think when we do get back together, we'll all be crying (laughs) tears of joy, but also knowing that this is the kind of story that we all crave and, um, and need when we, when we can come back together 
come, come out of our apartments and come back together. That's beautiful. Thank you for that. You know, yeah. I, I, um, it's, it's rare that I get to dive into a moment of a show that I love so much that is, you know, still running, that's still happening, um, mm-hmm. on this podcast. Uh, so thank you for indulging me and in talking about of the course. show. So yes. specifically. I really do. It's, um, it's one of my favorites, really. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today. At LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So since we're talking about the multi-hyphenate life, what, are, what would you say your hyphens are? So usually when I have to give the log line of my, <laughs> of my bio, I say I'm uh, an actor, writer, director, and advocate for inclusion. That's my, my short, uh, my short bio, as opposed to the gigantically long one and obnoxiously long one I sent to you <laughs> for information. Hey. Take your space. Take it I loved. I loved reading. I learned. You know. Uh, I learned so much about you in that bio. I thought it was so. Um, it's so colorful. It's so vibrant. And I'm like, that is the artist I hope to be. Where it's just paragraph after paragraph <laughs> of different, of different extensions of your soul. Like that is. The you know you getting you being able to collaborate with your your husband, which right. is incredible, and yeah. we'll t- we'll talk about that and uh, and just also breaking the what you say the color barrier the um the yeah the color barrier for over thirty years in your career. Uh, can you talk to me? Let's start there. Can you talk to me about what breaking the color barrier is to you, and how if the meaning has changed over the thirty years of your career? Oh sure. Um- it, it definitely has changed. Um, and it's probably more than 30 years, but as I said, I, I <laughs> but I don't, I don't, I, I usually say I'm old enough not to know, not to tell you my age. Um, so my first professional show and that, and when I was um, 16 and then uh, at 17, I got my equity card with, with a different production of the same show was guess Liat in South Pacific. So I, I actually have done South Pacific five times in my life, three times as Liat and twice as Bloody Mary. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Um, wow. And I think, you know, at the time that I started, it was, it was um, sort of expected that we would, people like me would play what I, we called the long hair roles. And also what I think, um, you know, I always say that every other character that you will read that is uh or see on tv that is an asian american female of a certain age and i mean younger uh is named some version of melee uh now you'll now you'll notice that you that this is true <laughs> melee mailing um so except for liat but um so that's that that shoots my theory down there but anyway there there are those roles that are very um stereotypical the frail, subservient, um, quiet. Liat is like the ultimate quiet character, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so those those kinds of roles were um, at at the time that I was starting out really just accepted that that was that was the way it was. That those were the kinds of roles that a person, a young Asian American female, would play. Um, and as time has gone by, um, the understanding 
oh boy, that understanding that the, the perpetuation of certain kinds of stereotypes, especially now we're talking about the, the hypersexualization of Asian American females. And, but there is a direct line between underrepresentation and um, the perpetuation of harmful stereotypes all the way to the dehumanization and erasure of the three-dimensional people that make up the population that those those kinds of actions are are trying to reflect or or not reflect at all does that make sense there's a very long kind of sentence so one of your hyphens is your advocate for inclusion so that being said, what you what your journey um, of uh, of breaking the color barrier, how has your work um, for inclusion advocacy uh, helped change minds? Helped um, helped uh, sort of bring your point of view and the um, AIPI uh, community's point of view uh, into into demarginalizing conversation how how can you uh tell me more about that yeah so i think so first of all i i always wonder how i had the nerve (laughs) to start trying to be in this business because there were very very few role models to see on stage or on screen um, but for some reason, I decided that it was, uh, you know, I watched The Sound of Music a million times. I wanted to be like Julie Andrews and my my parents didn't say, no, don't do that. So I, I just went for it. And um, it took it took me a long time, uh, not only just in my own sort of evolving, but also in the business, in the industries, um, openness. Uh, it took me a long time until I uh, started getting all those kinds of roles that I that I uh, relished in the, what I call the you know the golden age soprano leading ladies, and so the first time that happened was actually um, in a production of Carousel at the Hangar Theater, and I just switched representation and. Uh, I remember the, uh, one, of, one of my new agents called me and said, so we have an appointment for you for Julie Jordan and Carousel. And I said, you, wait, you have an appointment for me. They're actually going to see me audition for that part. And she said, yes, here's the information. And I, I started working on the material. And I know that there are problems with Carousel, but uh, the music and everything about uh, doing the homework for Julie was so exciting to me and um, and different from anything else I'd been asked to audition for by that point. Uh, I remember going to the audition and feeling a little ashamed that uh, people might look at me and think, why are you here? Wow. You know, this is not the king and I, why are you here? Um, but I kept doing the work and I got a call back and then I got the part. And, um, and it was one of the most exciting things to me to be um, welcomed into a space that I had not been welcomed into before. And uh, as I like to say, no one died. <laughs> it was amazing. You know, and so from that experience, though, I realized that I could speak about a positive experience in order to make a point. And um, that has, since then, has been my style of advocacy. Um, My style has been to try my best to keep building bridges and, and, um, and reach, uh, reach across, you know, space. Um, And to really highlight um, why reflecting the world as it really is through this magical thing we do, which is theater and the arts uh, can have such an amazing impact on how we perceive each other and ourselves and what a positive impact uh, being inclusive and really, as I said, you know, expanding the landscape of American storytelling to really reflect who we are, um, how, how important that can be. And so I guess the, the reason I have um, 
just kept at it. Sometimes I say I feel like I got this uh, hole in my forehead from banging my head against the wall for so many years about it. But it's because I know that I'm right. I just, I know without question that I am right, that this is a good thing. And uh, we can talk uh, separately about the nuances when, you know, when there are culturally specific parts that need to be played by culturally specific people. But in general, the idea, the philosophy of of uh, having this global worldview that includes the entire globe and why our we should be paying attention to whose stories get told and through whose lens so that we're seeing the authentic um, picture of who we are. I'm just so positive that I am right that that's a good thing. It carries me through the roller coaster that is um, attached to not only just show business, but the 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 way the objectives stay the same, but the obstacles keep changing. I am so inspired by you. I mean, that is that is I I could not agree more. And for those of you that are listening, Christine has built a career on knowing she is right. <laughs> We, but we have to have that that uh, determination. We have to have that. We have to convince ourselves that we, our point of view, is the right point of view. That our stories are the, that our bodies are the right bodies. Like we have to maneuver our careers with that much gusto, with that much uh, conviction, uh, because there are going to be times where people will come for us and make us question ourselves, but we don't have time to do that. Right. Absolutely. And listen, I'm, I'm not saying it's easy and I'm not saying that it's that I don't have my own um, periods of self-doubt and uh, for my, not about, not about the the philosophy, but just about my own personal thing, because, you know, um, we're, that's, that's how, how we're built and we're human human and I think it adds to um, all the, the, the facets that we need to have to be complete um, people and artists. Um, but yeah, there's no time, there's no time <laughs> to, to, to spend um, wallowing in, in the kind of self-doubt that you could have that would debilitate you or, or, or uh, take you off course, I believe. We have too much to do. We have too much, we have to, too do. much to do. Yeah. Sometimes people say, so, so there's nothing to do in this pandemic. And what are you doing? What's how, what are you doing in your downtime? My answer is what downtime? (laughs) I, I, I know you're looking at me. (laughs) I, you uh, totally understand me. (laughs) Oh, I totally understand you. This is the, this is the time where we get to go. All right. What's the missing puzzle piece? How can I, how, when we come back, how can I keep exercising? How can, what's my personal gym? You know, like. Because I don't like going to the gym, but I do yeah. like ex- <laughs> no, but I do like other types of exercises, like creative and artistic exercises. And there's been a lot, there's been a lot in this pandemic where I have had conversations with myself about: is are you going to continue those efforts, or are you reaching a point like before the pandemic? I was doing two to three shoots a day. Wow! And uh, I loved it. My bank account loved it. Um. But then the pandemic happened, got COVID, became a long hauler, mm-hmm. started shooting again. And after one shoot, I was like, oh, I'm not getting off of this couch and now I have to ice my legs. And so I was like, one, I can't even shoot two to three people a day. Two, okay, let me clock and see how I'm feeling in this moment. Right. Do I even need to? Like, I'm still present. I'm still garnering an income and also i'm turning 30 maybe that specific hustle is over because now that i've established myself does that mean i can up my prices to uh to sort of um make up for those lost shoots and then i can have the time to work on my production projects or work on those sides or work on the podcast, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that has been how I've sort of taken the quarantine by the horns and said, you're mine. Um, 
how have you sort of um, experienced quarantine and made it yours? Well, first of all, I, I also I do want to underline um, that I I have total compassion for people who have felt stuck in this time. Oh and yeah, I'm not not in any way passing judgment on a, a person's no. ability to to do that or, or to do be more productive or not because everyone is different and has had a different experience. Um, this is a traumatic. What we're going is. through is absolutely traumatic, and there are days where there are days where I will literally wake up and be like, no, not today. And there are people that can't get out of that funk. And that is, that is okay. But what, what I'm just personally saying from my experience is that creating saved my life. That's the one thing that makes me feel better. Yes, absolutely. I totally agree. Um, So, you know what, what um, I was, like I said, I was on the road for 18 months before we were so rudely interrupted. And, um, <laughs> and, and, and anyway, on the road, I was balancing, um, all the various meetings for, for the, um, the position, various positions, positions I have held, um, and my writing. And so when I got home, uh, my husband Bruce said some something very wise to me in the very beginning, and he said, "You know, I just feel like you are taking this next year off to concentrate on your writing." And I thought, "Okay, I think that's a great way to look at it." And so I uh, I have been working on various things. Um, I already was was at the beginning of a commission uh, to write a new musical with my. Uh, frequent collaborator Jason Ma uh, for Village Theater outside of Seattle. So we had a November 1st, 2020 deadline of our first draft. So we worked on that for, you know, from March. We we started earlier, but it gave us the time to really concentrate on that. And, you know, writing a musical takes a long time. Um, and then I was writing some other plays that were, were done. Um, I forged relationships with four new theaters that I had not been in contact before um and um so it wrote some new things and i i did some rewrites on some older things i'm just i'm just looking at you know your body of work and you know you have uh jumping the uh the um jumping the third rail which is the 2016 meryl streep iris writers lab fellowship and it's now titled look up and you have no wave you have winning new york you have you have food like love I, and so many these incredible projects that you've written so many different projects that you've written and tying in because i think multi-hyphenating it's not about multitasking it is about it is about the the feeding into each other you also have leadership when it comes to writing right because you are also the founder of the asian american composers and lyricists project which is incredible um what do you think is the through line the common denominator of the projects that you write I, I find that I write a lot about belonging. And so I think that a lot of that comes from A, not being invited to my prom, and B, um, <laughs> and B oh. and, but really seriously, um, really uh, finding my place in this industry and, um, and being sure of my philosophy that we all belong, but not always uh, finding that other people, consciously or subconsciously, uh, agree. <laughs> and so as time has gone by, I think that I have written stories about people who are trying to find their place, who find their place, because I, I like a good happy ending yeah. uh, most of the time. Um, and that's been a that's been a through line for sure that's beautiful also you would have been my prom date oh thank you (laughs) um you're so welcome i (laughs) now because you you have these positions of you you are writing you are uh you were um uh, a performer you're an advocate for inclusion there's one hyphen that we haven't really discussed yet and i think it is a branch of your advocacy because there is delegation there's um there's decision making and that is your producing and directing work oh yeah so So, yeah how do you feel that your uh how do you feel that your your producing and your directing is an extension of your advocacy work which is also an extension of your performance work 
which is also an extension of your <laughs> writing work, you know? I mean, and that's that's what I believe multi-hyphenating to be. It's not about, I just have all these random things that I do. It's about that everything is empowered by the other thing. <laughs> yeah, so the producing really has 100% come from wanting to get stuff done. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so uh, I... I have just received my 21st grant to support my work uh, since I started applying for them in 2007, my 21st grant. Right. Wow. And, and so um, it, it has all come from wanting to, wanting to tell my stories and finding ways to do that when some traditional ways might not have been uh, open to me or available to me. And so uh, it started actually the first one and uh, was in 2007 when my husband Bruce Johnson and I uh, became inspired to tell the story of Wat Misaka, who uh, was the first non-Caucasian pro basketball player from the 1947 Knicks. Uh, it was then called the BAA, but he, he was the first, and he was first college draft pick ever from the University of Utah. Wow. So this is a Japanese American guy who we love so much. We lost him last year, but we, um, who, who against all odds and against you know, the, the backdrop of the World War II anti-Japanese American sentiment was this guy who just wanted to play basketball and he kept playing. And um, in spite of people jeering and yelling horrible things to him from, from the stands and you, and for example, when he was actually signed to his contract with the Knicks uh, he, Ned Irish, who was the president of the of Madison Square Garden at the time, and uh, sorry, I think he was the president of the Knicks. Um, he and the coach from the Utes met Watt at a hotel in Salt Lake City that he that Watt would not have been allowed to stay at at the time because he was Japanese American. So wow. the, his story is just very, very uh, textured and deep. Anyway, we we heard about his story. Um, I was actually going to write a screenplay about him, which we still want to do. But um, there was a, a, a friend who said, you know, you should apply for a grant uh, that she, she knew of the California uh, State Library was doing. It was the California Civil Liberties Public Education Program. At the time, they were grants specifically for post-World War II Japanese American stories. Uh, and apply for a grant to do this oral history with him and go meet him and talk to him and his family. And uh, we did that. And and through a series of grants from that organization and some others, we were able to make this documentary film about him. And um, so that was the beginning of a lot of the grant writing that I started doing. Because one of the hats that I wore on that production, I, we co-directed it together, Bruce and I. But then I did the line producing and the grant writing and the catering and the travel you know, arrangements. And Bruce did all the editing and the graphic design. So we we just took on all of those different roles. But it, it just taught me that there was a way to make things happen. Uh, they, they might be different ways than you you would imagine and i tell this to to students all the time that being open to the idea that your dreams coming true often are look very different from how you first imagine them is a key skill to cultivate being open to that yeah i i you, my grandma and i are very very close she's turning 90 in october we're very, very close, but every once in a while, she will turn to me and just go, I just miss hearing you sing. Aww. And I'm like, look, I, I, miss, I miss singing too. And when the time comes, I will do it for the right project that I, you know, think fits my Ethel Merman uh, voice. Amazing. Wide vibrato to the back of the house. Drive, <laughs> could drive a truck through it. And, uh, but that dream looked, you know, my dream in high school of, you know, 
being a Broadway star and going from Broadway show to Broadway show to Broadway show looks very different than my dream now. And, um, and I'm okay with that. Like, you know, I think something that's really important is keeping in check with your inner child. Uh, Randy Graff, um, actually we were having this conversation and she brought up the inner child and how important that was. And I was like, I was like, is my inner child happy? And I thought about the bootleg trading, like, you know, bullied chubby kid that was just so desperate to be a part of the industry. And I immediately said, yeah, he would be happy. That's amazing. So it's, it's, it's an interesting thing of like, what are our dreams? Like how do our dreams look different? And what, but ultimately like was my dream to be on Broadway or was my dream to be a, a figure in the Broadway community that people could, depend upon you know uh which is which is um which is interesting and so I love talking about dreams and inner child and yeah checking in where where we are and what did you learn about yourself through grant writing because grant writing is a very patient it's a very um tedious it is uh yes it is it is a skill let me tell you (laughs) I learned that when you can speak about a project and the who, what, where, and why clearly and passionately, it means that you're onto the right idea. And if, if you can't do that, or if you're trying to apply for a grant that just is not the right match for your project. And so you're trying a little too hard to squeeze in that who, what, why, where to fit them. It's, it's not, it's never a good fit. Um, but I did learn that, um, a lot of times, if, if, I'm, if I'm writing the narrative to the grant, it helps me clarify the, the development of the project for myself. Yeah, it, it's, you know, you have to be so able to, like you said earlier, um, give a succinct description of what the project is and, and why, why it needs to be done it's not only clarifying for the development of the project, but it's inspiring to continue working on it. And so I, uh, I have found great joy in, in the tedium <laughs> of writing the grant too. And it's, and even more when I get the grant, but uh, I, I, um, yeah, I'm really, I feel very fortunate to have gotten so much different, different support uh, for my, uh, the projects that I've initiated in this way. For those that are listening that don't know much about grant writing, what would you say the process is like for grant writing? Like, what is the time that you start and end? How does it? Sh- how is the money given to you? What is what is that process? Well, it really depends on the grant, but the the most time consuming thing is to make sure that your uh, the project narrative is compelling, mm-hmm. truthful, yes, passionate, mm-hmm. and. Um, and aligns with the mission of the grant givers. That's why I said, if you, if you feel like you're stretching it to fit them, it's just stop. It's not, it's, it's in nobody's best interest to, to keep spinning your wheels uh, over something like that. It's like a backers audition. A grant grant is like your first audience because you're selling it. When we are creating a project, everyone that sees it, whether or not it's a producer or, um, or a you know grants or who whoever it is they are our audience we have to sell it to them we have right. to be able to give them the beginning middle and end and convince them that this is you know a show that they're going to keep going back to or they're going to support or whatever it is and and i have to say you know my projects are pretty much 100% social action based so it's it's easy for me to to talk about the why um and and um and that's been the centerpiece of most of my uh, my grant writing success. I think is because I can talk about the why in such a such a strong and deeply committed way. Um, to answer your question about timeline, I'll just give you an example of uh, one that I recently was notified that I received from the Lower Manhattan Cultural Council, which has supported me for years in, in many different grants. Um, so their application process began in uh, September. Maybe it was open for about a month. Um, I would allow myself always time to 
not only do the do the writing but then go back and visit it after I've let it sit, after I've gotten some perspective, um, you know, to, and to keep going back and doing the rewrites. Cause you, you usually, I generally miss something in the questions that I find after I keep rereading it, you know, and then, you know, making the budget and, um, their, their grant process is actually relatively simple in that there's a narrative, there's the budget, um, there are the work samples, but they're, then they're pretty clear and they give you a word limit so that you can't, just go on and on and on, uh, which is also valuable because you have to be concise. Mm-hmm. And then you submit it, and then I, I didn't end up hearing. Usually they're a little earlier than this, but I think with the pandemic, things got slower. But I found out um, just in the beginning of March that I have now until the end of the calendar year to do my to deliver my project. But that so that was the you know September to March. Um, there are other grants that have taken longer to hear from, and some that are shorter. But um, it's worth it. It's it's been worth it to me to be to not for for no other reason. Even when I don't get the grant, for no other reason but to really be able to hone in on the on the the golden kernel that's yes. in the project. I love that. So exciting news. Yes. You are a member of the elected leadership of the Dramatis Guild of America and serve as chair of the Guild's Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee. What's happening next? Well, it's it's really been such an an honor to be a part of the council. I, I sit in this room with pretty much uh, almost every single living writer that I've ever admired. And it's, it still blows my mind that I get to do that and serve and serve writers. Um, but so the exciting thing is that um, I was recently elected to be an officer of the guild. And so our team, um, we're all, we're all breaking some barriers for the, the guild. Um, Amanda Green is our first female president in the Guild's 100-year history. Brandon Jacobs Jenkins, our first black officer, male, male officer. He was vice president. Christopher Diaz, our first Latino officer as uh, secretary. And myself as the first Asian-American officer as treasurer um, in, in these 100 years of the Dramatist Guild um, history. So we're, we're just excited to... Um, to be continuing the work on a on an even more intense, robust level, the team is a phenomenal group of writers and people who have served the membership through various ways um, for for many years. And it's it's I can't even tell you what a what an honor it is to to deepen my service to to composers, lyricists, playwrights, and and librettists in this way. Everyone is lucky to have you let me tell you you. that and i'm i'm the most thrilled to have you a new friend in my life and um i can't wait to start hanging out with you when once we get our vaccine shots and all that stuff but uh because we're names we can i could just just walk to you Um, but uh unfortunately we do have to wrap up which i could talk to you for literally hours we might (laughs) have to do another episode um but where can we find you on social media on Instagram and Twitter, I'm at ctoyj, C-T-O-Y-J. And then my website is christinetoyjohnson.com. I try to keep it updated with various performances and uh, different activities. And also, you're the most supportive on social media, let me tell you. like, oh, Well, I try. I try. You, you are my hype man, and I'm obsessed <laughs> with it. Like, I just... I'm like, oh, yes, yes, Christine is watching, and I love that. It make, just makes me very happy. Oh, well, I try to spread, you know, positive reactions. As, as much as we, we we need social media to let us know about the, the terrible things that are happening in the world, we need it to tell us about the joyous things, too. Um, to sign off, what would you say to the people that are not sure that they are cut for the multi-hyphenate lifestyle they want to be but they're not sure that they're cut for it i think you try try just try it you never know what kinds of uh joy is around the corner and a lot of it, it could be because you've had the opportunity to look at things from multiple views multiple vantage points as a multi-hyphenate beautiful Thank you, Christine. You're amazing. Thank you. You're amazing. 
<laughs> thank you so much, Christine Toy Johnson, for joining me on Dear Multi-Hyphenate. And thank you to Broadway Podcast Network. Thank you, Alan, Dory, Britt, Katie, Yo, Patrick, and Stan. And remember, follow me on Instagram at the Michael Kushner or at Dear Multi-Hyphenate and on TikTok at the Michael Kushner. And as always, like, subscribe, follow, comment, tell your friends, tell your family, tell anyone you think that would enjoy this podcast. See you soon. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.